welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. I haven't seen you in two weeks, so it's been three weeks. Uh, two weeks ago, I ran with 60 others from the Garden, the half marathon here in Long Beach. And um, thank you. I, yeah, I killed it. I was, I was great. It was, no, I'm just kidding. It was really hard. But I, I, yeah, I did not get, no, I did, I did pretty well, you know. Um, and I ran with somebody who was faster than me. And it was a perfect picture of community because he exposed my weakness and encouraged my strength. So, um, no, so I missed last week. And then last week, so Bill was here twice, Pastor Bill. Last week, um, after the sermon I gave a few weeks ago called Hear and Obey, I mentioned that oftentimes when we're seeking to hear God's voice, we've heard a word from him that we haven't been obedient to. And so we're waiting for something new, but he's already spoken to us. And he's waiting for us to be faithful with the word he already gave us. And in the midst of preaching that sermon, I realized that I had yet to be obedient to a word he gave me in January, which was to go into the desert. And so I followed the word of the Lord (laughs) and I went camping in the desert, which I'm not really a camper. If you know me at all, I prefer the luxuries of modern world. Um, Bathrooms, uh, places to put food that remain cold and you have to worry about ice. Don't sleep, you know. I like to sleep on a mattress, not on, you know, gravel or sand. I like to walk outside and not worry about animals attacking me. Things like that, which are still real fears that I have in Long Beach anyways, uh, because the number one predator in the world is a mosquito. Um, But anyways, it's a whole other conversation. Now you're getting a glimpse into my soul. But I did it. I went with a friend because I needed a chaperone. I don't trust myself in the desert. I don't trust myself to camp in general. So I had to eat. So I brought somebody along who knew how to cook. So he took care of all the details. All to say, I went camping out of obedience and I had so much fun. And I felt the Lord's presence. I was obedient to just get out. And the day I got there, I was like, what the heck am I doing out here? We're going to spend two days doing nothing. No cell reception, nothing. Oh, okay. And then by the morning, it was like detox. Just completely, it was so good. And I went on this beautiful hike and I felt the Lord's nearness. And I just felt so many things for the future. And really just more than anything, just felt his presence again. And I think some of us need that. Like so, and, and actually, I think we need it all the time. Um, but I feel like I just want to give you invitation to get away and be with Jesus. And I, my wife empowered it. She took the kids for two days, and I got to go off and hike in the, you know, into the wilderness. But I, I just want you to know that I was being faithful to the message that I preach. And I want to invite you to hear God's voice and obey. Some of you are waiting for a new word, and you haven't been obedient to um, obscure words like go camping. Um, but I want to I wanna just share. So I'm here, and we're, we're in a series called Abundant Life. And this series is a long series uh, on one sermon that I gave a few weeks ago called Soul Care, where we talked about how do we remain healthy in the church today. And I, uh, Bill did a great job a couple weeks ago talking about you are a soul, you don't have a soul, and talked about stewardship. And so this series is designed to help you understand uh, what it looks like to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. What it means to be a soul that has five different dimensions or capacities to that soul and how to nurture and care for yourself because um, language like spiritual isn't helpful in a world that uh, everything is spiritual. And so what I'm going to do over the next several weeks is break down the, the talk from a few weeks ago called Soul Care. And each week we're going to talk about how do we steward our physical capacities, our social capacities, our emotional and mental, and, and how do we make change. And today um, I want to talk about transformation. I want to talk about change. Is change possible? And um, I want to talk about this because I, I know that in the church, in this room, There are tons of things that we carry around that we wish we didn't have, which we'll get to in a second. And I want to give you today a framework, a new vision for what it looks like to live your life on purpose and and, and experience what Jesus promises. In John chapter 10, verse 10, he says this. Um, This is John, the gospel writer's kind of mission statement for Jesus's ministry. And Jesus said this, 
um, to his followers. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And just pause for a second. There is an enemy working against God's good and beautiful world. There's a spiritual darkness, devil, Satan, demonic forces, uh, systemic forces, oppressing God's good and beautiful world, oppressing God's way of life, his kingdom. And the desire of the anti-kingdom, the way of the world, is to kill, steal, and to just destroy. And we experience it, maybe not as dramatically as those words, but when our, our joy is robbed, when we're comparing ourselves, when we live with broken and false narratives regularly that plague our lives and disable intimacy with other people, that's one way the enemy and the systems of the world are working against God's way of life in your life, let alone on a corporate level. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So the message of Jesus, according to John, is he comes to give you more life. And his life is very specific. He's not talking about some esoteric, disembodied spiritual experience. He's talking about life here and now, here and now joy, here and now peace, here and now freedom, here and now wholeness. And when I look at the church, you know, I'll just speak for the nine o'clock service. When I look at the nine o'clock service, <laughs> what I see is exhaustion, burnout, addiction, broken relationships, broken hearts, loneliness, isolation, anger out of control, hurriedness. I just see a church that's longing for this life. And if you're like me, you're longing for this life. So I thought, why don't we talk about how do we experience this abundant life here and now? How do we move forward in that direction so that we can be followers of Jesus today? But I want to start with prayer, okay? So Father, would you just come and anoint this sermon? Anoint the words um, that you want to share through me so that we could see transformation. Knowing that podcasts and good ideas can do some things, but what you're interested in is total transformation, a reconstruction of all things within us and around us because of your work. So Holy Spirit, would you give us grace uh, to experience your freedom, uh, to be good soil and catch a vision of what you're into, of bringing abundance here and now. And we pray this in the resurrected name, the name of the resurrected Jesus Christ, who is Lord and King, Amen. Jesus is king. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I knew it was going to be good. I was telling everyone, just wait and see. I've listened to it at least 10 times. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry. It's okay. The rest of the world has heard it a thousand times. And just look up closed on Sunday. You're my Chick-fil-A. So there we go. Luke chapter 6, verse 39. Um, I want to suggest that God's desire, God's dream for your life. Ready? Here's the will of God for your life, for you to become fully alive. You didn't see that coming. His will is for you to become fully alive. I am not Tony Robbins. I'm not some self-help guru. I believe that this is the the this is the biblical truth. I'm not a freestyle rapper <laughs> yet. That's right. I'm working on it. It's, this is the biblical truth. The more you become like Jesus, the more you become your true self. And not some like psychological understanding of true self, not some false self loss. We're not, I mean, there's a lot of literature on that, but the person that you are intended to be, that God is crafting you to become. The, the passage in Ephesians calls you God's handiwork, God's poema, which is the he, uh, Greek word for poem, artwork, masterpiece. You are individually God's masterpiece, and he is, he is crafting you into a person that reflects Jesus in the world if Jesus was your life stage, your age, your gender, and all of the above. That's the point. And that's the point of discipleship. In fact, there's a passage in Luke chapter six. It says this. It's one of the shortest parables. I love it because it's easy to memorize. Uh, I like short passages for memorization's sake. It says this, Luke chapter six, verse 39. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? 
Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. What's this parable about? Anyone want to guess? Just if you could like give me one word to summarize, what's he talking about? Yeah, were you in the first service? Come on, Susie. Gold stars, a crown on her jewel in heaven. There we go. It's about discipleship. Jesus is giving a nod to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the dominant teachers of the day. Everyone wanted to be like a Pharisee. They had all these rules and regulations, and they, they, were, they were the people that were favored in first century Judaism. And uh, he calls them over and over again blind guides, that they, they are blind leading the blind. They don't get the kingdom reality. They don't get scriptures. They're looking for God, and they're, or, uh, they're, they're looking into the scriptures and missing God. And Jesus says, you can't be, they're blind people, um, blind guides, leading people on a path. And he says, listen, uh, a student's not above his master, but everyone who is fully trained, everyone who is fully trained will be like the teacher. And this is the vision that Jesus has for his followers. Now, just think about this. To be Christian, according to Jesus, is to become trained to become like Jesus. The expectation in the first century for a follower is that you are a disciple, a student of a rabbi. And your goal as a student was to be with, to become like, and to do what your rabbi did. The goal and expectation of followers of Jesus is not to believe some great ideas about God and then look like the world, not to memorize scripture, but have no love and joy for people around you, not to show up at church, be generous, but yet still be stingy towards people that don't look like you. No, you are designed by the king, by the king of kings to look like the king. This is Christianity 101. But we have failed as church throughout history to lead people in the way of Jesus, which is discipleship, which is to form and pattern your life in a way that begins to take shape over a long period of time and to become more and more like Jesus. This is the goal. Now, I want to do a quick exercise because I think this would be helpful. And Maybe it's not helpful for you, but this is how my mind works. Because I want to give you vision today of what's possible for you. With all of the things that you don't like about yourself, with all of the brokenness within you, all of the issues that you have, I want you to imagine for a moment the real Jesus of Nazareth. Just close your eyes. Let's just, let's just describe this moment. Take a moment together of just reflective imagination. We are an image-driven culture, so I want you to paint in your mind's eye an image of Jesus. The real Jesus is now standing in front of you in your imagination. The Jesus who is relaxed, non-anxious, joyful, patient, generous, gracious, forgiving, slow, He's faithful and consistent. He's overwhelmed with gratitude. He's free in every sense of the word. This is the real Jesus, the one who weeps for his friends. The Jesus who is moved with compassion. The Jesus who is, feels deeply and has empathy and love for the broken and the hurting. The, the same Jesus who includes the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the addicts, and the burnouts in his inner circle. He's the most powerful person you've ever encountered, and yet he is the most humble. He carries himself like a servant. He is courageous yet gentle. He lives with this kind of unique connection to the Father, and he prays, and it seems like everything happens. His words are intentional. Nothing he does is wasted. He's emotionally healthy, grounded, focused, living intentionally. He is whole. And when you are around him, you feel like everything is going to be okay. Do you see him? Open your eyes. What if I told you this is a description of you? How many of you want that? What if that's the invitation that Jesus has for you today, to become that kind of person? Isn't that attractive? Doesn't that touch at the center of your Life and, and if you're like me, this idea of being fully trained 
this idea of becoming that description of a person. And if you're like me, you need to change some things. Would you agree? Not just a few things, but like a total reconstruction of your soul. Anyone else want to say yes and amen to a total? Because if you're like me, I'm like, that is way over there, like maybe a million years towards eternity. Because right now I'm just trying to deal with the anger. Well, I mean, we need to change. And that's, that's what I want to talk about is we need to become people who see this as the vision driving us forward, that who we are becoming is more and more like Jesus over a long period of time, actually for the rest of eternity. And that means it's not going to be fixed overnight. That means it's not going to happen because we took on a new diet or we read the newest book and got the newest kombucha or whatever it is that this self-help instant Amazon Prime two-hour delivery culture gives us. This is about becoming a kind of person. This is about becoming an oak of righteousness. And an oak tree takes 30 years to provide shade. I want you to have this vision, that as a follower of Jesus, you'll be growing and becoming who you are intended to be for the rest of eternity. That's the vision that I think Scripture points, that when we die, it's not like, okay, now we've got it all. Actually, when we die, we just continue on. We continue to live in the presence of God and we continue to create and restore and live dynamically and steward the rest of creation because God's going to marry heaven and earth once and for all and we'll have resurrected physical bodies and we'll continue to grow into Christ's likeness for the rest of eternity. How are we doing? Are we okay with that? So if you're like me, some things need to change. Can we talk about that for a moment? What do you want to change? Just let's be mindful, because some of those are really serious, but what, what are some of those characteristics? What do you want to change in your life? Throw it out. Patience, selfishness, what else? Pride. Less lazy, more industrious. Purity. Forgiving. A little more forgiving. That's good. Yeah, these are all great, right? What else? What other laundry do you want to throw out there right now? Anyone want to get rid of self-hatred? Anyone want to get rid of addiction? Anyone want to get rid of lust, envy, gossip, uncontrollable rage towards people that do anything other than your way? Because you know what's best. I have friends. I don't have, I don't have uncontrollable rage. But I do have anger sometimes. Like, so it... And, and it, okay, so in church, like what we have is like, we have all these characteristics about ourselves that we want to change. And it feels like what we've done over the centuries is offer people these solutions to change their life. Check it out. If you want to change something, here's what you got to do. You got to pray more. Come to church. All of a sudden, everyone's pretending like they have it all together. At least other churches, not ours. We pretty much throw it out there all the time. But we're like, all right, well, you, you got anxiety and you're angry, pray about it. You know, don't let the sun go down on your anger. So it's like, pray more and read scripture. Those are the two things that we tell people, essentially. This is what changed. Because the theology we carry is, okay, we're just going to pray and read. And we're just going to hold out real strong. Because one day we're going to die. Then we're going to have patience. And then we're going to have the life of abundance. Then we're going to have joy. Finally, then we're going to have our bodies in order because that's what the theology we've carried about this end time theology, which is basically uh, the last thing. Don't do anything. Get the matrix download. Be Trinity in that helicopter when they're on the top of the building. If you, this is a, um, you know, old, old reference, okay? <laughs> like 1999, like early 2000s. She's on, if you probably haven't seen it because they don't make movies like this anymore. And it's, it's crazy. But there she is. She's on top, and she's never been in this helicopter. She's like, operator, I need the instruction manual for a B2, something like that. And it's like, her eyes goes, and then all of a sudden, she's got, she can do it. She takes off in the helicopter like that. We think that's how it works. And sometimes, sometimes, miracles happen. And it does work like that. I've seen it. I talked about anger never being healed in prayer time, like up in front. And my mom's like, actually, Darren, when I was a kid, I prayed. I had an anger issue, and I prayed, and God took it away. I've never seen my mom inappropriately angry. I was like, that came in prayer. I'm going to pray for that. Lord Jesus, help me. But for the most of, most of the time, it's in partnership with God that transformation happens. You see, grace is not opposed to effort. 
as Dallas Willard says. Grace is opposed to earning. So we work with grace. We work with the Holy Spirit to experience this transformation of life. And the process of becoming like Jesus is called spiritual formation. Dallas Willard describes it this way. Spiritual formation is the Christ, in the Christian tradition is a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke. Let me just say that one more time. The easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our rabbi or our teacher. So what we're talking about when we talk about becoming like Jesus is this Christian phrase, spiritual formation. Now, I want to suggest that spiritual formation is not a Christian thing. It's a human thing. And what I mean is that everyone is being formed and shaped by someone or something. That is the natural default setting of the human condition. The question is, who are you being shaped by? Or what are you being shaped? What are you being shaped by? What are you being formed into? So uh, I want to suggest that every single person wakes up in their default setting and unintentionally lives their life being shaped by all sorts of things around them. And we're going to talk about that. Um, so I want to talk about two paradigms. The first paradigm being the unintentional life formation. Every single one of us has a default setting. Every human wakes up and they're being formed into something. The unintentional life of formation. And then I want to give you what uh, I think is, is a brilliant thing that Dallas Willard created in his book, Renovation of the Heart which I highly recommend. And it's, uh, I'm calling it the intentional life formation. I also want to do away with the, the phrase spiritual formation. Because I think, in my experience in the church, when we call something spiritual, it creates all sorts of like assumptions about what we're talking about. And it disempowers um, the rest of your soul from being formed into Christ. Like, so when we call something spiritual, we immediately categorize things that are spiritual in our life. So we're talking about spiritual. Okay, I got to read more of the Bible. I got to pray more. I got to do desert retreats like Pastor Darren. I got to give more. We create these, these hierarchies of spirituality. But I want to remind you that actually everything is spiritual. And you are a soul. You don't have a soul. And let's go to that slide just to remind us. Remember, as we talk about abundant life. We're not just talking about developing Christian traits. We're actually talking about forming the entirety of your soul. If you want these slides, by the way, go to our app. And on the front page, I have a, a quote from Joel Osteen called Best Life Now. And that's the name of this talk. So Best Life Now by Joel Osteen. Um, all rights reserved to him. He's got the bestseller. So um, none of this is in there, I don't think. I, I've never read it. But here it is. Uh, you are a soul. Best, uh, your physical, your social, your intellectual, your emotional, and your spiritual. So these five dimensions of your soul are ways to grow in Christ-likeness. So I'm doing away with spiritual, and I'm talking about life formation, because I believe for some of us, running is one of the most spiritual disciplines we can do in our life. Because that is where we connect with the Father, and we abide, and we hear His voice. That's, that's how it is for me. Going, some of us need to go camping regularly as a spiritual for, discipline because for us, there's something about being in nature away from all this stuff where we connect with our true self. Can I get an amen? And if we just use the phrase spiritual, I'm afraid what you're going to think is what I mean is just spiritual activity. And I don't. I mean holistic integration of your soul being cared for. Let me just add a couple of more points on this because I, I think we need to drive this home. Some of you have anxiety issues, and they haven't been diagnosed by a doctor, but a lot of us are stressed and have anxiety. Regularly, I hear people come to me and say, man, I feel like I'm being attacked by the enemy. And I'm like, there might be truth to that, yes. But you also aren't sleeping enough. You're not eating healthy. You're not exercising. And you're, you're literally waking up and going to sleep with your phone by your bed and you're scrolling and it says you have seven hours a day on your iPhone and what you're doing for fun is playing video games. Do you think that in that condition you are able to free yourself from those things that are plaguing your life and experience 
uh, the life that God designed. Sometimes we need to release habits that are unintentional to experience a different type of peace in this life. Some of you don't want to hear that. Wait, 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 Dan, you're saying that the enemy is not the, he's trying to, it's sad, John, he's trying to steal and kill and he's trying to destroy my life and yes, and, and he's not coming with demons at nights for some of us. He's coming in our pocket feeling like we have to respond to everything at every hour. Feeling like we can't put boundaries up just with little tiny thoughts as you scroll through Instagram and see you weren't invited to that party. And now there's a seed of dissension. Do you see how easy it is through the iPhone? Yeah, anyone else getting this? You guys all went quiet. I'm not talking about sex or money. You guys, I'm talking about the iPhone. <laughs> What's going on? All right, so let's jump in. So how do we change? I wanna give you uh, one framework and then I'm gonna give you another framework. I got uh, some time, but I'm gonna go over because there's not another service and I love you guys. So um, the unintentional life formation. So here is a slide that is from Dallas Willard's Golden Triangle of Transformation, okay? And at the top, it says false narratives. At the bottom left, it says habits. On the bottom right, it says relationships. In the middle of the triangle, it says environment. And then it has an arrow at the bottom saying um, over, a long, over time and through experiences. Again, get this on the app. Um, this is just modified from Dallas. So this is what all of us experience. All of us in our default setting just straight when we wake up in the morning, are walking into a formation machine, which is culture and the world we live in. And this is how we're transformed. Number one, through false narratives. We all, as, as humans, uh, Babette Buster says, we are narrative animals. From the moment we're born, the way we understand the world as humans is through narratives, through stories. We make stories up about things to understand our place in the world. And we create belief systems. So um, if you, like, give it, I'll give you a personal example. Let's say you grow up, and for whatever reason, the way your, your amazing parents parented multiple kids, you felt, however amazing they were, that you were not enough. That the way to get the love from your dad was to perform and be the best. And so what this performer, this performance mentality created is this deep seed of insecurity. So the narrative you believe is you are not enough and what you do to earn love is to be the best at everything. And so this is just one little tiny seed planted as a young kid that grows over a lifetime and now you're in relationships, now you're in your career, now you get married and now you're a parent and you're realizing that this seed of, of this lie, this false narrative has built this forest, this jungle, this Amazon of, of impact in your life. And so your, your workplace, you, you literally are killing yourselves to be the best of the best, to be all of your competition. You think that if you don't show up for everyone and you don't, you can't have boundaries because you got to make everybody happy and and then you become a parent and you're over overcompensating for this insecurity not wanting to be like that and so you're over loving creating an over affirmed child it just goes all the way down the road all because you believed this little tiny narrative that has become this world in your life but it's not just those things and we, it could be the way you look it could be the way you feel the way you talk I was talking to somebody who walked and ran the half marathon a couple weeks ago and she said I believed I couldn't do hard things and she's doing the emotionally healthy spirituality and she's realizing this false narrative, narrative has existed in her life since she was a little girl so she does, hasn't done hard things and after running and walking the uh, half marathon an hour faster than she anticipated she realized she can do hard things and now running for her is a symbol of a, of a practice she's trying to defeat the false narrative that she can't do hard things now it's incorporated into her life we'll get to that in a second uh, other things about this, like for example, um, let's just say uh, uh, culture. Culture gives us all sorts of false narratives that we have bought into, all about how we what money is for, uh, about what uh, sexuality, about preference, about uh, community, what difference is. Like the world is selling us something through all these narratives they, that we live in a consumer-oriented society. You are designed to produce so that you can buy. That's essentially it. That's what Amazon's model has worked because, yeah, like South Park does a thing on, uh, on, on, uh, on Amazon that will blow your mind. And it seems very true. It's very prophetic. But don't watch South Park because I said so. 
There we go. So, like, for example, one of the things that I believe is the real crisis for everything we face today in the church is this little tiny thing that we learned about a long time ago in philosophy, like, like what was, it, it's not like you were in second grade and there's a culture class and they're telling people, okay, Johnny, today you're going to learn that there are no absolute truths. And you are the uh, Lord of the universe and your feelings are the greatest truth in life. And anyone that doesn't empower your feelings is oppressing you. Oh, wow, that's harsh. Talking about money, sex. Now you're talking about the way the world works. This is a lie that the world has packaged as uh, freedom and liberation. Okay? But the reality is, as Christians, we have truth. Jesus is truth. His scripture is the word of God. And so what culture has done is said, believe uh, whatever feels right is your, so your personal experience is your greatest truth. That is going to impact for us as followers of Jesus how we live and interact in the world. Would you agree? I want to, I want to like, yeah, let me, like, so if that's your perspective, that's going to impact your view of money. Why do we have to share with people? Why do we have to give? Why do I have to tithe? Oh, because the Bible says so. So what? So what? But what's the Bible? The Bible is an ancient document that has no authority. What has authority is what I feel. Sex. Well, it says to like, you know, don't practice sexual immorality. But what does it mean by sexual immorality? It's pretty much anything but, it's everything, like sexual immorality is just like sexual intercourse. And so we blur the lines. We, we just mess it all up because we don't, we, ha, we have, live in a culture that doesn't believe there is an absolute. Are we okay? Can I talk about that? Because I feel like that's, that, I, want, I mean, this is a, the biggest thing. The issue is about biblical authority. You can talk about, you know, how do you read, is it, is it literal, inerrant? Um, like, that, to me, it's like, okay, yeah, okay, let's talk about it. To me, the issue is, does it have authority in your personal life? Will you submit your feelings to what's true? Will you learn to say, uh, to, to hold yourself and to reserve yourself to pursue purity because he said so? On all, I'm not just talking about sexuality. I'm talking about money. I'm talking about greed. I'm talking about the way we see other people. I'm talking about politics. I'm talking about all of it. And this is the big one, the false narratives. Okay, I'm going to keep going because we got a lot more to get through. That was just a side note for you. You're welcome. So the other way is through habits. Our unintentional habits um, shape who we are becoming. There's all sorts of psychology done around this. That, um, the, the field of psychology point out the power of a habit. We are little more than the cumulative effect of our daily and weekly habits. So in other words, what we do on a regular basis, we become. Said another way, the things we do unintentionally in our daily routines do something to us because our habits get at the core of our being and they shape our love and longing. They get into the limbic system. And so our habits, so, so for instance, when you are unintentional in your life, you wake up with your phone by your bed and you scroll. The first thing you're doing in the morning is scrolling. When you wake up and you have kids and you're tired because you w- stayed up too long watching the whatever third episode of the new Netflix, whatever, or now in a couple of weeks, Apple Plus and Disney Plus. So we're just gonna have so much out there of, of entertainment oblivion and we're just gonna be sucked in so that we're getting less sleep, which is Netflix's greatest competition. And when we rec- recognize that that habit causes us to wake up groggy in the morning so we're not up with our kids, preparing our, our kids to learn disciplines of worship and prayer, but instead check out on Netflix and make food real quick, but not prepare them with habits that will sustain them into junior high and high school on their own, we don't realize the enemy wins through small things like our habits. If we keep spending more than we make and we go into debt, that date, that regular habit will create a trap and a prison in the future. The third way is our relationships. Well, I'm coming alive in the 11 o'clock. Just want to let everyone know. Let's just podcast this service clearly. Favor. From the, from the crowd. The crowd is favored. Yeah, so good. Let's, let's keep the love. 
If you can't hear that on the podcast, I just want you to let you know that everyone here is standing up, cheering, saying so good. <laughs> our relationships, we know this. We, the people that we spend our time with, whether at work or in our own lives, we become like our community, our relationships, our unintentional relationships. We probably dress like them, vote like them, talk like them. That's just part of the way. We are shaped by the people we spend time with. Fourth, right in the center, is we are shaped by our environment. So at the center of this unintentional life is wake up, and we, we walk out into Southern California, and we're shaped by our geographic location. How many of you know SoCal is a formation machine? And there's a particular bent that it moves us. Now, it, once upon a time, ge- geography was the primary place of our, our, our influence, of our um, formation, like school or neighborhood or workplace. But now we're more and more formed two places at once by the screens we participate in. So your, your Instagram, your, your social media feeds, your, the news that you read, the media that you watch, the, 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 what, what shows you like, all of it is, is forming you to become a person. And I just need to let you know, not to scare you, but you should know this that the biggest companies in the world are hiring the smartest people from the best universities in the world to create algorithms and apps that keep your attention. Like addicts at, at a casino is what the smartest people in the world are doing with their power so that you are buying more stuff. So you are being shaped by the location you live in, the places you work, the people you know, you're being shaped by your unintentional habits, by your false narratives, and by the screens. And all this happens over a long, long period of time and through experiences. So you will be shaped by the experiences that happened to you when your parents got divorced or when you have a child or when you lost lots of money or made lots of money. Those experiences have effects uh, on your soul and who you become. Now, that's the, that's, let's look at it one more time. That's the unintentional life. Now I want to show you a vision for an intentional life. And um, the purpose of this is to give you the vision that change is possible. And how do we change? Well, here's what I want to, I want to offer you as a, a picture from Dallas Willard. Number one is we replace false narratives with true narratives. So what we must do is find, the, and I would say scripture and teaching, this is why Biblical truth and teaching, good teaching is so important because teaching is not just giving us like good information for how to live our lives, but it should get into our hearts, into our imaginations and offer us the best life. And it should challenge the false truths in the world and give us true narratives to live our lives on. So we should be surrounded by good content of biblical truth and learn how to replace the false narratives with true biblical narratives. So if you were like me as a kid and felt like you had to perform and be um, the best of the best because you weren't good enough, and so you spent your entire life trying to prove that you were valuable and worthy, what happened for me is I got to Romans 8. And Bill said, read Romans 8 for a year, and that's it. But I was a performer. I want to read the Bible in a year, and I'm going to memorize scripture. He's like, no, 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 put all that away. You got to learn how to sit in your belovedness because you are loved. You are the beloved child of God. And your prayer is simply this. Breathe in, Abba. Breathe out, I belong to you. That was the single greatest work I've done to experience freedom from the false narrative. And then I I had to practice things that would push that away because I had such self-hatred that um, the other thing is you replace habits um, with practices. I had such self-hatred because of that insecurity that I had to develop habits to challenge the false narrative and the, the unintentional habits. So I, I would dress a certain way to hide my body. Anyone know what I'm talking about? I didn't eat certain foods, or I, I would go through seasons of not eating because I hated my body. I was, I was anorexic, anorexic and had an eating disorder. And, I had, and that was at a young age, and so there I am at 29, still dealing with the things that were done when I was 14. But it took a process, and guys, I am on the other side. I do not doubt for a second I'm God's favorite. I'm God's favorite. I mean, I say this. I know he loves you, but I really am his favorite, and you guys are going to learn that eventually, that if you can't say that, then you haven't learned that you're his beloved. And I want to get all of you to that 
firm foundation of identity. So we have to learn to replace false narratives with true narratives. What are the narratives in your life you've been living that are false that God wants to pull out and help you uproot to bring true narratives? Uh, we replace unintentional habits with practices. Jesus talks about this all the time, but there's no formation without repetition. He expects us to practice. Let's move away from the language of spiritual disciplines. Let's just call it all disciplines. Because sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do when you get home if you have kids running around is shut your phone off and put it in a drawer. That micro habit has a macro impact in the person you are and are becoming to your family. Or you don't have to have kids for that, just your roommates or your spouse or your coworkers to like put your phone down when they're talking. And that's just a small thing. But other habits, like if you deal with anxiety or you are always in a hurry, there are in the Christian tradition disciplines of slowing. Think about it. There are practices you can adopt to intentionally slow down your life if you are in a hurry. Like, for example, taking the longest line at the supermarket. <laughs> Let that be your discipline of practicing the way of Jesus as you efficiently calculate which team, which line will be the fastest. Because you see, that woman's going to pay with a check, which I don't know why they're making checks anymore. She's going to take some time. She's going to count out the quarters or whatever it is. And that girl's talking as a checkout cashier is too friendly. So you go to the one that seems like the longest, but you know it's going to go fast because they got their Apple Pay on their credit card and they're going to be out the door. Take the long line. Drive the speed limit. Come to a complete stop. Don't watch a show and be on your phone. You're like, well, no, that's, that's, that's like really hard. It's like, it's Mr. Miyagi. It's like wax on, wax off. Do you know the point of wax on, wax off? I feel like some people haven't seen Karate Kid. You're like, wait, are you talking about Jaden Smith? I'm like, no, I'm not talking about Jaden Smith, okay? Someone's like, who's Jaden Smith? Exactly, exactly. Wax on, he was washing cars. Why was he washing cars? He was being formed in a way that taught him how to hit and block. He had no idea that waxing cars was going to help him when he was being attacked in a competition to block the attack and hit. And you're like, whoa, this is, this is really deep, Darren. I never knew that about Karate Kid. <laughs> so when we say wax on, wax off, we mean discipleship to Jesus Christ. Are you with me? It takes intentional practice. Third is commit to community. We move away from relationships and we commit to community. And is there a dolphin in? <laughs> I know there's some, you know, pets in here occasionally, but dolphin's the new one. <laughs> just kidding. Um, commit to a community. Commit to a community and uh, not just relationships. So what we have to do is relationships we self-select based on our preferences. But our community as the followers of Jesus is we choose to live uh, and follow Jesus together no matter what comes. And so we stick in covenantal relationships that, that we call community because community is the most important environment for discipleship to Jesus Christ. There is no discipleship without community. And community does two things. It exposes us and it encourages us. Community brings exposure, meaning when you live in intentional community, like a house church or close friendships that live intentionally, or you have a marriage, you'll realize that that community exposes you like squeezing a sponge. It's what, what comes out of you. Like when things shake up, what comes out of you is what people see. So when you choose to enter into a covenantal community, you give people the right to be with you when things aren't necessarily pretty. And so what's exposed over a long period of time is all the junk inside. And anyone that's married knows this because when you're single, you're like, oh, I'm awesome. And then you're like six minutes into your marriage. You're like, whoa, I have to die to myself. I want to fill up my cup of water first and I got to get her cup too. It's like there's a million different ways. And that's just the fun stuff. What about the serious stuff when she's like, hey, when you go to a group of people, you talk about yourself too much. Wait, time out. I'm not going into a group of people looking at you going, how do I make you better? And she's like, it's okay. I'm going to help you get better. You know what that's called? Sanctification. Come on. That's called sanctification. Marriage is a sacrament of God's good grace. 
and I love my wife. She makes me a better man. And I, I pull her down just a little bit. But anyways, um, <laughs> community, it also encourages us. Because what community does is when we're doubting, when we're broken, we feel like we don't have what it takes. Community's like, no, you have what it takes. I see it in you. We're going to lift you up. We're going to push you up. Yeah, we're going to pull out this junk, but you're going to look more like Jesus. And as you do that, we're going to make sure that we're there when you succeed. Are you with me? Some of you need that. Some of you don't have that community right now. Some of you have some relationships that you've like that are almost there, and I want to give you this advice. Invite those people that you are like, this, this is my tribe, this is my crew. The, the core friends that you have. And not everyone can be core friends, okay? Core friends and just say, Will you be this for me? Let, and invite them over for dinner. Tell them, hey, I want a meaningful life of friendships for the rest of my life. Can we covenant together to do this life together? So that, you know, we're all single right now, but when we get married, we're going to do it. When we have kids, or when we, we start this thing, like we want friendship for the rest of our life. Invite people into it. Uh, finally, we replace the environment with the Holy Spirit. So environment and our screens no longer become the primary place of formation, but the Holy Spirit becomes the source of our formation. And that becomes, he, the presence of God, fills us and dwells inside of us, makes his home in us that we abide. He baptizes us into the reality of the Trinitarian God. We live consumed uh, by the presence of God. And that's the thing is like Christian life, we think we can do it with this model and take the Holy Spirit out. You cannot change without the power of God in your life. We need to become great consumers of God's grace. The more, the holier you get, the more grace you need. The, the more, the longer you pursue Jesus and become like him, the, the more you realize, the holier you are, the more grace you consume. And I am a great consumer of grace. The oxygen I want to breathe is the kingdom air. And the environment that we live in, it becomes the presence of God. It talks about in John, I don't have time to read it, John chapter three, verse one, when Nicodemus, this great teacher, is trying to figure out how do, you, how do I get into this kingdom? He's like, no, you gotta, in order to see the kingdom, you gotta be born again. Like what the flesh gives birth to the, is, is the flesh, but what the spirit does is give birth to the spirit. He's like, wait, I, I don't, he's, and Jesus is like, yeah, it's like the wind, but you have to experience it for yourself. It's for those that have ears to hear and eyes to see. You're either going to get it or you're not. And when it comes to the kingdom, some of us are going to get it because we've put ourselves in a humble place where we say, Lord, I need help. Where we wake up every day and say, God, I need to be filled with your presence. I need to be baptized again today because I keep leaking all over the place and it doesn't look like you. And for the love that, of all that is holy and sacred, make me whole so I can just love my, my wife well today. So I can just go to the workplace and, and that's hostile and critical and the opposite of the kingdom, and bring that kingdom life with joy and let that residue go off on them, not the other way around. Are you with me? Anybody want more of the Holy Spirit today? I do. That's what this is about. Becoming more and more permeated with the character of Christ that happens through partnership with the Holy Spirit. This happens at the bottom over a long period of time. You can't microwave your character. There's no four-hour discipleship. You know, like there's a four-hour work week or four-hour body or four-hour chef. I've read them all. <laughs> One inch at a time for the rest of eternity. And the last thing is what we see is that um, the pain in life, the hard knocks of life become windows for transformation. And we know this. It talks about this in Scripture. Oftentimes we're going through trials and we want so quickly to get out of them without learning from them without inviting God into them. He wants to not just heal the condition, doesn't want to just free you from the experience. He actually wants to be with you in it. I told this at Christmas. It was uh, when my son, who had to have all his dental work, had to get a tooth extracted at the age of five. That is not my fault, okay? I'm just saying. He doesn't eat sugar. <laughs> he is so healthy, gluten-free. Like, it's nuts. He just has this thing. and It's, it's got his mom's genes. And so... Um, I haven't had a cavity. She's got like silver everywhere. But anyways, <laughs> so I'm, anyways, he's freaking out as a five-year-old would as he sees this chair and all these doctors and masks and things. And, and it's like, what the heck's going on? 
And, and he's, he's nervous, he's kicking, and I'm like, hey, bud, do you want to just sit on my lap? And nothing changed. Nothing changed. He went through the exact procedure he was supposed to do, but everything changed for him because I was right there with him. Isn't that the perfect illustration for what God, it's like to do life with God? That you can handle anything if you know and trust he's with you in that, even in the hardships. And so, can we change? Yes, it is possible. All those things we listed out, even the things that we're afraid to say out loud, those things can change, but it's not inevitable. In fact, everything you do in this, everything you experience in this life is going to try to prevent that change from happening. And you come to church hoping to change, and they say, read the Bible, pray more, wait to be zapped. But that's not going to work. What will work is if you choose to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Become fully trained so that you are like the teacher. Because the question I guess I have for you is, who are you becoming every day? You are becoming somebody. Who is it? And if you were to plot out the trajectory of the rest of your life, you're 70, 80, 90 years old. Who are you becoming? Is it someone that looks more and more like Jesus or does it look more and more like the world? Let's pray. Quick disclaimer. This is, this, the stuff that I put on screen about change is so good because um, it's from Dallas Willard. But a quick disclaimer is what you need to know is you can't, if you're, you're just, some of you are dealing with serious things in your life that need more than just that. I would say that picture of change is like the highway of transformation. But some of us need to get off the freeway for a bit and see counselors. Some of us have serious addiction and trauma and, uh, or addiction and some of us have trauma and we need to seek professional help to bring about the change that's required and that is okay. Some of us need medication for conditions. That is okay. Can I just say that? That um, with all of those things, let's just not apply this as a universal rule and be like, well, I'm in community but I'm still addicted. Yeah, you might need more help. So go get more help in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.